0: Funds for Bookworm are provided in part by Lannan Foundation.
1: Books.
0: Where would we be without Boobs? Where would we be without Gutenberg? It's a rhetorical question, sir But where would we be without Boobs? From KCRW and KCRW.com, I'm Michael Silverblatt And this is Bookworm. I'm very happy to say that our guest today is Sarah Manguso. She is the author of, well, quite a few books. Two books of poetry, four or five books of essay and memoir. And now she has written her first novel called Very Cold People. It's published by... Hogarth Press, and I'm very happy to say that I I like her work very much. I take it seriously. It's very moving work. Much of the work you hear about on Bookworm is often prey to satire or sarcasm or elaborate structural constraints, but you write very direct explorations of what it means to be human.
1: First, let me just thank you for having me as a guest. Um, well, I, I often think about how I became the person I seem to be now, and um, I, I I think I haven't really functionally changed since I was about 11, and I realized that the things that I wanted to do were to write about my feelings and sing in choirs and um i i really have just continued doing that although my books are in uh, appear in various forms poetry prose essay memoir short long truncated uh fragmented but um really the entire project is just um i guess what uh, what what would maybe um condescendingly be described as processing or therapeutic release or, um, uh, you know, all, all the other words that are used to uh, describe women's writing in a way that makes it something other than literature. Um, but something else that I have to say is that when when men Read my work and particularly my book, Ongoingness, which is, you know, it's, I think it's the most female of my books. It's about motherhood. It has breast milk in it. Um, when, when, a, when a man, uh, declares that that's a piece of serious literature, I, I realize that I'm in the presence of somebody who's taking me seriously as a writer and for whom nothing, nothing I do would be set aside as, you know, slight or, um, or, you know, Uh,
0: No, I think that nothing you do is slight. I've been very impressed because I think in our time, we've lost the ability to talk seriously about our emotions, the development of personality, the relationship between children and parents, and most of the books that do cover those topics, people other than me would call it victim narration. Mm. Most of the people who write those books are not writing literature, and you are. Um, I, if you were to ask me to define the difference between an interesting and a serious narrative and a work of literature, I probably couldn't accept to say that the style tells you that the author is in touch with language, but serious books are constructed out of language.
1: Yes, that's right. Uh, I think the fundamental difference between contemporary work that I like and contemporary work that doesn't interest me is that much of the contemporary work that doesn't interest me is easily summarizable in uh, on screen or um, as uh, a series of plot points and um, I was I was thinking today about a book that I I reread frequently and which um, is by an author who I, I think isn't really well understood by the greater culture It's Susan Steinberg who is a, a California writer in the Bay Area and um, I was thinking about her book Machine, which is one of the books I Looked to as a kind of um a north star of how to write about sexual victimization and you know the entire construction of gender and gendered violence and the problem with her work is that you can't summarize it you know you can't just throw it onto a screen it's it's not consumable in that way it is made of language
0: well if you have just been listening to my guest sarah mancuso um Part of her style would be to describe something as the North Star of how to write serious literature. And I somehow love the astronomical sense that it's serious and important to understand the details of human life. This first novel, very Cold People, takes place in Massachusetts, in, is it Waitsfield?
1: Waitsfield is the name of the imaginary town in, in a, a real state.
0: <laughs> and there in Massachusetts, it is very cold, but almost as if, by a metaphoric extension, the people are cold too, and there behavior to one another is highly judgmental. And the way the mother, in particular in this book, with the father as well, the way the mother is raising her daughter, Ruth, who is the narrator of the book, is so shockingly cold. I'd say the novel's direction is to say how parents... And a culture came to be this cold, because we do find out, and it is a revelation. By the time I reached the end of very cold people, I was so astonished that people I'd come to know so well and be shocked by could be so clearly understood through their own backgrounds and history. And I think that, unlike many novels, which are dependent mostly upon event, this book is dependent upon understanding character and how it's developed and how it's understood and how it's revealed.
1: I am so glad to hear that, especially because you didn't say that Plot is missing, or that uh, narrative and event are missing, um, and um, you've ap- yeah you've identified what interested me in this project, which was really above all to understand the mother daughter relationship as it fit into a culture that was set up to violate in in all possible ways the vulnerable. Um, among those women and girls, particularly young and adolescent girls. And, and I, I love, uh, I love just hearing validation that there is such a thing as development, progress, forward momentum. Um, in which the momentum itself is the understanding of a character, not necessarily the development of a character, because that sounds to me too much like something that happens in a movie. You know, the character has, uh, you know, an experience and grows, an experience and must make choices. But no, I I really do think of the experience of reading very cold people, I think of it as just a door very slowly opening.
0: I will not be the same person I was... Before I read Very Cold People, I understood a great deal about my own parents and my own background, and I had also read a previous book of yours, I think it was two books ago, called Ongoingness, and its subtitle is The End of a Diary, and in it you describe a diary that you kept every day, for years and years, wanting to capture everything. And in that book, Ongoingness, you mention that you read that diary and you destroyed a volume of it which was largely concerned with the difficulties you had with your mother, I somehow think that this novel, Very Cold People, is in its own way constructed from that extreme daily detail of what it's like to be influenced by a woman who is very narcissistic, not necessarily unfriendly to her daughter, but just incapable of doing the things that a mother needs to do. And as I read the book, I realized this was often true in my family. My mother was a working woman primarily before she was concerned with motherhood. She was concerned with earning a living. And we were raised by my grandmother, who somehow was a very beloved and motherly type. My mother was her youngest and only American-born daughter. And so, as I developed a relationship with my Grandma Rose, my mother and I became sibling rivals. Well, you can imagine what that leads to. I'm not speaking out of disrespect to my mother. She is past And I love her dearly, and she came to love me dearly as she saw that I would be able to make a living out of my love of reading. But until that point, she was so concerned about me, she could barely stand to know that I was upstairs reading yet another book. So was this in some way based on your own experience with your mother?
1: Certainly, I had a lot of early life material that I needed to excavate. Um, Most of my books have been at least partly autobiographical, and there's something that happens something really metaphysical and transformative that happens. Um, To give you one example, after I wrote my book, The Two Kinds of Decay, which is about a um, period of acute illness in my 20s, I began writing about it seven years after it was over. And I wrote it entirely from memory. The memories were absolutely, I, I, I felt very secure that I was remembering them accurately. And then a couple of years after the book was published, I realized I didn't remember it anymore. I didn't remember any of it anymore. And I I really do think that that finishing a book for me functions as a way of eliminating um, ruminative material from my working memory, and I always knew that I needed to write about Massachusetts. That there was um, there was a way that I had not yet succeeded in describing this very. What I now see is rather unusual way of growing up in the 1970s and 80s that belongs to, I think, a much earlier time. In the book, um, you know, it's it's proposed as being really not very different from the way that the society existed upon colonization in the 17th century. A lot of those social pecking orders still exist, untouched and unchanged. Um, But I knew that there was just, um, I had to describe or I had to depict or I had to eliminate this Massachusetts material from myself in some way. And um, certainly there were early experiences of being with my mother that belonged to that material.
0: Well, I, I do feel very strongly that my own life was altered by moving to the West Coast.
1: How could it not be?
0: I was friendly with Pauline Kale once upon a time, and I told her that I was moving to Los Angeles. And she said to me, that shouldn't be too bad as long as you don't get involved with metaphysics.
1: I thought you were going to say Hollywood.
0: No. Um, Even worse than
1: Hollywood. I don't think she'd Hollywood.
0: have that. But in fact, it was metaphysics that changed my life. I became a student of Louise Hayes, I took metaphysics very seriously, and it altered me because I had been an East Coast person, Yes, which means in turn that if you were a book person on the East Coast, you might have very hostile attitudes towards some of the writers that most other people liked. And if you were Susan Sontag, you had very serious negative attitudes to almost every writer, not herself. I adored her and admired her. We became very close, but this was not a friendly person. I learned generosity, decency, kindness from my metaphysical teachers on the West Coast. Now, you've raised a child here, and you are from the East Coast. Have you become metaphysically generous as well?
1: Oh, what a wonderful phrase, Metaphysically generous. Um, there There are two things that I think are notable um, in my uh, evolution that are that are related to what you've just shared. And one of those things is that um, after I gave birth to my son, he was born in New York um and my, um, my spouse at the time and I decided that we would move to California, um, you know, partly for work, but also because there was this vague idea that it was better to raise a child there. It was easier. Uh, you know, you didn't have to get on the subway. All of these, all of these reasons that, that people, people give. And I was dubious. Um, I thought, like many New Englanders, that if I strayed too far from the East Coast, I would become soft in a way that was, that was bad. That, you know, I still attached my power to endure difficult winters with virtue. Um, with, you know, with, with courage and, and, you know, with, with, with the the right kind of personality. And upon, moving here I realized that all of the things that I had written off as as silly and shallow, like um caring about the weather, were actually very important. Quality of life was a phrase that I, I just would have turned my nose up before I moved to California. And and I now see that it not only exists, but it's actually valuable. Um the other the other thing is that um Recently, I've I've become involved with an intuitive energy healer who is herself uh, an East Coaster who lives in Massachusetts now and who describes herself as almost um, mortified that she has this incredible gift and she finds her whole life and vocation embarrassing and is almost apologetic, but she's an incredibly gifted healer nonetheless.
0: I'm Michael Silverblatt, and you're listening to KCRW's Bookworm. I'm talking with the remarkable Sarah Manguso. She's just written her first novel after several books of poetry and memoir and essay. Uh, The new book is called Very Cold People. We'll continue after this short break. I'm Michael Silverblatt. This is Bookworm, and I'm talking with Sarah Manguso about her new book, Very Cold People, in which the protagonist wishes that she lived someplace other than the very cold town in Massachusetts invented in this book, Waitsfield, and waiting is a principle in this book as well. And... um. It's a remarkable first novel, but I think that anyone reading it should be aware that Sarah Manguso began as a poet and the rhythms and sentence structures of the book betray an knowledge of rhythm, of metre of the pause that comes at the end of lines. Um, it's really quite extraordinary to read a novel by a poet. I don't know. I have the feeling that you're going to continue to be a novelist. What do you think?
1: Um, it's it's uh, wonderfully and uncannily welcome to hear that from you. I uh, I surprised myself initially by by finding that it was necessary to write a novel in order to make the kind of book about Massachusetts that I wanted to make, um, but I do in fact have a draft of a new novel that i um, that I wrote immediately upon finishing writing very cold people, so you are correct well though I read
0: both books of your poetry and I know that you studied poetry at the Iowa writing program um I've been reading your prose, and I think you're an extraordinary writer of prose, but more than that, I think you have an unusual gift of taking life seriously. You're trying to understand the things that happen to people, to ordinary people, just in the course of daily life. And some of that may have come from keeping a daily diary, much of the work that one hears on Bookworm is either fantastical, your friend David Shields knows that I'm not a fan of realistic fiction necessarily, but I found myself so moved by the things that you were telling me, about living. I mean, those of us who read may not necessarily know a lot more about life than the things we see in books. <laughs> and I think that you are a liver.
1: Well, I will cherish that that praise always. It's not that the diary gave rise to this focus on on the small moments of life. I think it's more that I was born feeling overwhelmed by the small moments of life. And the diary was my way of finding a, a path out of constant rumination and worry and uh, wondering if I had done it right, gotten through the day in, in the way that I needed to. Um, it, it's that, you know, it's it's a feeling really that that originated the diary.
0: Well, this book, Very Cold People, is a very moving, do I say document, narrative of the experience of being a criticized child. Now, many of us have been that kind of child, and it leads to an experience of being overwhelmed and uncertain about nearly everything, it takes us criticized children a long time to escape the influence of our mothers and fathers. And in this particular case, the things that the mother says are joined, aided, and abetted by the things the father says in return, and so this is a very scrutinized child. Now, I think that in order to be a writer, you have to be looking carefully, but in order to be a child, you can't be looked at too carefully, because if you are, (laughs) you end up being overwhelmed and frightened by just about everything you do. And I think this is one of the marvelous novels about escaping the punishment of scrutiny.
1: It is definitely an escape narrative. It's also interesting to hear the phrase criticized child, which I like very much. It's made me kind of rethink my understanding of what the book is about, which was girlhood. And it was um, really, I really felt marked by femaleness from an early age in a way that did not feel uh, inherent to the way that I thought about myself. But it is also true that um, that Ruthie and, you know, in my own way as the rememberer who's translating Massachusetts into this novel, um, I was in fact describing a criticized child who was maybe not necessarily female,
0: What I've learned about the reason I have said that I don't like realism is because I read to escape from life. I was the kind of child who not only wanted to read, I wanted to read fairy tales. I wanted to read fantasies. I wanted to read books whose um, structures were so wild that they enabled me to escape. What I find when I read books like Very Cold People by my guest Sarah Manguso is a writer who is concerned about childhood is likely to teach someone like me things that I was incapable of learning when I was younger. The book told me some things I needed to know in order to continue growing up. Now, I'm now about to turn 70, and I think I am still continuing to grow up. I tend to think we all are.
1: Oh, of course. I feel very proud to be helping you grow up, Michael. Thank you. Um,
0: I've been talking with Sarah Manguso, author of Very Cold People, published by Hogarth. Thank you very much, Sarah, for joining me.
1: It was such a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you. I also want to acknowledge that it's Sean Sullivan who introduced me to the work of Sarah Manguso, and I'm very grateful to him for doing so. I now have all of her books, and this show will not be the end of my reading of sarah manguso's work i want to tell my listeners that due to the pandemic we're taping in my home vaccinated and boosted you can visit kcrw.com bookworm for a podcast of today's show also available at all podcast services and on demand with kcrw smartphone apps if you haven't already Please become a KCRW member. You aren't going to hear about the writers you need to be introduced to. On many other shows that I know, I feel very fortunate to be a producer host with KCRW. Special thanks to my Bookworm show collaborators, the adored Alan Howard and Sean Sullivan, and the wonderful engineer P.J. Shahamet. I'm Michael Silverblatt, Join me again next time on Bookworm. I am a bookworm. He is a bookworm. She is a bookworm. We are all bookworms. I would just be, be this, be this, be
2: this, be this, be this, be this, be that. be this, be this. I am a book.
0: Funds for Bookworm are provided in part by Lannan Foundation. This program is produced in the studios of KCRW, Santa Monica. You can access archives of all Bookworm programs and podcasts, the most recent ones at kcrw.com/bookworm. The Bookworm themes were composed and performed by Ron and Russell Mayle of Sparks. is a she is a we are
2: I want to tell you about a new show from the Financial Times called Life and Art from FT Weekend, hosted by me Lila Raptopoulos. Life and Art is twice a week. On Mondays I have a guest on to talk about life and how to live a good one. Everything from winter travel to cooking to living more creatively. And on Fridays we talk art Two FD journalists and I discuss a piece of culture that's in the air. New music, movies, and more. Find life and art from FD Weekend wherever you listen.